You're listening to The Legal Page Podcast, episode number six. Today's episode, you guys, is all about the policies and agreements you need as an entrepreneur. I like to call this the Entrepreneur's Agreement Toolbox. This is another one of my foundational episodes that I will refer back to time and time again as the podcast grows, as I have more guests on and we need to think back on the Entrepreneur's Agreement Toolbox, and as I expand on these topics in the future. So since I'm talking about the general big picture agreements that you need as an entrepreneur, I also suggest that you come back to this episode when you need a new agreement. Let's do this, Legal Pagers. You're listening to the Legal Page Podcast, where we chat about life and business with a legal twist. I'm Paige, attorney and photographer helping online businesses and creatives tackle their business dreams without breaking out in hives. No more legal mumbo jumbo. This podcast features simple bite-sized advice that'll have you legally legit in no time. Are you ready? Let's get started. As a reminder, before we get into this episode, I am legally obligated to give my disclaimer. So remember that I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. And what that means is that all legal information that I give on this episode is intended for the masses and to a wide variety of different businesses. So I am only your attorney when you hire me and we sign an engagement letter. And that means that I would be working specifically on your business. But please, please feel free to seek out another attorney in your hometown if you need specific legal advice, or you can contact me for more information and I will get you to someone. So alrighty, here's the episode, friends. Okay, I'm going to break up this episode into some categories of different entrepreneur agreements. So remember that an agreement is a negotiated and legally binding arrangement between parties, usually between two people, but it can be between more, as to some type of course of action. So usually if you're a service provider, you and a client are agreeing to your services for them to pay you something in return. So I use the term agreement and contracts interchangeably throughout the legal pay podcast, but remember that they are the exact same thing. So when I use those two terms, agreement and contract, I'm referring to the same thing. This is a document that you sign and agree to between the parties that are in the actual contract. And usually, like I said, this is for something of value. For service providers, you are making agreements with people all of the time. You're doing this with your clients, you're advertising on social media, you're putting things up on your website, you're selling stuff in your online store, you're selling online contracts, you're hiring people to work for you. Seriously, you name it, you are constantly making agreements with others. So I am going to go over the big five categories of different types of entrepreneur agreements. And remember, this is your big toolbox. These five categories are business agreements, client agreements, worker agreements, website policies and agreements, and miscellaneous agreements. Let's start out with the big one, business agreements. This includes the biggest one of all, which is your LLC operating agreement. So that's the main one we're going to talk about here. 
For most of you listening, if you are a limited liability company, which we talked about in the previous episode, you are a single person manager managed LLC. And what that means is that you own the business as just one person and you are managing it yourself. So usually if you file your LLC registration with your state, you think that that's it and that you're completely done and you're all registered and good to go. So what you actually need is the next step, and that is an LLC operating agreement, which is the big business agreement that you need as an entrepreneur. An operating agreement is a contract that controls how an LLC operates and like how the members interact with the LLC, what you do upon dissolution of the LLC, what happens when you need to pay yourself as the manager who's managing the LLC. So it usually states things such as how profits and losses are distributed, how you use bank accounts and the use of bank accounts as the manager of the LLC, the use of capital contributions. So usually if you own some type of business, you are making an initial big capital contribution to it, or sometimes you just need to add some of your personal funds as capital contributions to make ends meet. Admission of new members or managers as your LLC grows, you want to include this in your operating agreement so that if you have another manager who comes in or you've got members of your LLC who come in, you want to explain in the operating agreement the procedures to do that. You will also include what happens if your business shuts down. And this is what we call as dissolution and winding up your LLC in the legal world. So the best part of these business agreements and operating agreements is that you can customize it, you guys, to say exactly what you need and how to comply with company policies under your operating agreement. Now, when you are complying with the operating agreement, the best part is, is you are automatically maintaining your corporate formalities. Now, if you don't have an operating agreement, that's where things can get sticky because your LLC is simply just bound by the default rules of your state. And that is what I always try to suggest to LLCs and clients who are contacting me or people that I do legal consultations for. I'm helping them avoid how to go to just default rules of their state. If you create your own operating agreement, you're essentially bypassing that altogether. And you know that I'm all about making my own rules as a business owner, which is why, you know, we became business owners after all, isn't it? So we can make our own rules. So that's why I always recommend making your own LLC operating agreement and the procedures of operation of your business. If you write those down in an agreement, you're all good to go. Now, remember, without an operating agreement, which really states that like the LLC is an independent business, it explains what the business does, when the business was formed, yada, yada. We just went over this in the last section. But without an operating agreement, your business looks a lot like a sole proprietorship, which has absolutely no liability protection. So I always always suggest people who get their LLC registration filed with their state because they are ultimately trying to limit their liability as a business owner and put their business assets in one bubble and their personal assets in another bubble to have some liability protection. If you don't have an operating agreement, you kind of look back to what a sole proprietorship looks like. And that's not what you're trying to do when you're creating an LLC. 
A biggie to remember with business agreements too is that if you are in business with another person, you definitely need a written agreement with all of the co-owners of that business. Because of all of the business entities, partnerships are the most sticky when things go wrong and always, always end up in the most lawsuits. So a good partnership operating agreement will outline the ownership's percentages in the business, the capital contributions that each partnership makes to the LLC, and all of the disbursement and salaries and payments that will go to each partner within the LLC. Really, this just essentially acts as what we like to refer to in the legal world as a prenuptial agreement between partners. So uh, it's like the company prenup detailing what will happen to the business if you decide to part ways um, with your friend or your friends who are in the business with you and are your partners. And it really just states what the partners get and where the liability falls on each. So the last thing I wanted to chat about with business agreements is that if you're a sole proprietorship, you don't need to worry about any operating agreement because you don't need one because you're a sole proprietorship and you're not actually a business entity. So you can just skip to the next type of agreement. The next big category of agreements is client agreements. These are customer agreements that we all use every single day as entrepreneurs. These are what you do when you're working one-on-one with clients, like if you're a wedding planner who is hiring wedding clients for a year out, a photographer, a calligrapher, a designer, a virtual assistant who's working for other companies, literally the list goes on and on. You kind of catch my drift. But contracts with clients should really just state all of the material terms of your agreement together, which include, but just so you know, are also not limited to the description of the products or service that you're providing to your client, the cost of your product or service, your payment terms, including late fees, and if there's some type of retainer or deposit, any type of dispute resolution. So if you want to include that they must arbitrate instead of file a legal suit, which I would always suggest, or um, where your venue and jurisdiction should be. So again, it doesn't just default to your state's rules. And also make sure you include some type of cancellation, refund policy, termination policy in all of your client agreements. But most of you know that this big category really pertains to every single one of you listening today. So client agreements, big category number two. The third one is worker agreements. These are the agreements with people who are doing work for you. In legal terms, we call these agreements independent contractor agreements and employee agreements. You want to make sure, obviously, that you have in your termination with your workers and what those policies include, limits on what your independent contractor or employee can do with your information. And this all always usually includes a, some type of confidentiality clause. It's really vital as business owners in the online world in particular to keep safe all of our confidential information. We are constantly ex 
exporting duties to other independent contractors or to companies that we hire. And so you always want to make sure there's some type of confidentiality clause in those agreements. And that states that they can't take any of your workflow. They can't take any of your trade secrets. They can't take any of your client lists, email lists, payment information, you name it. You don't want them to take it from you. This is super important with independent contractors in particular because they could really leave at any time. That's what an independent contractor is. They can work for any type of business. They can work for multiple businesses at the same time. Um, So you just want to ensure that they don't take any of your confidential information and run with it or disclose it to anyone else or simply take your whole business model and start their own business. That's what I see most often with people who I work for is that an independent contractor will take their, you know, the entirety of what they have created as a business owner and all of their trade secrets um, and workflow processes and really just how they run their business because they could have a virtual assistant or an independent contractor come in and learn everything that they need to start their own business. And without a confidentiality clause, they might be able to just run and start their own business and you would have no legal recourse. So I definitely suggest ensuring that you have some type of confidentiality clause in any independent contractor agreement. Now with employees, uh, there's many different types of agreements that you have to have. Usually you give them an offer letter to start, they accept the offer letter, and then when they come to work for you full-time or part-time, You will have an employee agreement, usually some type of employee handbook. Then you'll want them to sign specifically a confidentiality agreement and likely also include some type of intellectual property agreement with your employees that you're hiring. And you want to ensure that you're transferring any intellectual property that they have to your company. Um, We will go over the difference between copyright and trademarks on a later episode in the Legal Page podcast. But for now, all you really need to know is that when someone creates something, they own the copyright to it. And so you want to ensure that any employee that works for you doesn't own any of your intellectual property because your company should own it. And so you want to just have them sign an agreement that transfers anything they create, anything that would be bound under copyright law to your company. And with independent contractors, just remember that you would also want them to transfer any of their intellectual property to your company as well. That's really important for those of us who hire out, say, graphic designers or we're hiring out copywriters or we're hiring out editors for our podcasts really any type of thing where they would own the copyright to some type um, of medium that they're creating, you want to ensure that they're transferring that to your company so you own that and not them. The fourth category of agreement that every entrepreneur should have is website policies and terms and conditions. Now, for a lot of us, I know that your website is really your home base. If you're an online entrepreneur, your website is your go-to for your clients. So you're putting out lots of content on these websites, on your blogs, you're showcasing your photos or your designs. If you're a photographer or designer, you're showcasing your videos. If you're a videographer, you're potentially even selling stuff like in an online shop. Or if you're selling online courses, you're probably doing that with a landing page on your website. This is where website policies come into play. So this is really important for all of you listening. 
the first thing you need to have is a privacy policy. This is required by law. So make sure that you have a privacy policy. If you have a newsletter or you're asking for people's contact information on some type of form on your website and you're collecting their information and maybe putting them into a newsletter or an email list for marketing and advertising purposes, you must have a privacy policy. I don't know how much more I can stress this. It is so important for us. So there are various state laws like California. If you're in California, you better have a privacy policy because they have a huge state law regarding privacy laws. And and online businesses capturing your personal information and using that. There's also federal laws that have specific rules on privacy policies and of course the GDPR which is a European policy. So even if I'm trying to make a caveat here, even if your state does not require a privacy policy, if the state that your visitor comes from has a privacy policy law or regulation, then you are still on the hook. So all in all, just have a privacy policy. Like that's the biggest thing that I can tell you. Now, I'm sure you're wondering at this point and thinking to yourself, Paige, you keep talking about privacy policies. What the heck is a privacy policy? I think I have one on my website, but I'm not totally sure. What should it say? A privacy policy is a statement or a legal document that you have on your website that discloses all of the ways that you gather, use, disclose, and manage a customer or a client's data and personal information. Not only is a privacy policy legally required, it also, you guys, just makes your visitors feel safe and secure. A privacy policy essentially just states that you are collecting their information and then it explains really how you're using their information. You also want to make sure that within your privacy policy, you are telling your clients and your customers that their specific personal information is collected from you, but that it's kept confidential, and then that you're not going to like share it or sell it to a third party because that's definitely not okay within privacy policy laws. Other than website privacy policies, you also need to ensure that your website has terms and conditions of use. And what this does is it's just website terms that really have many different functions. They usually include refund policies, limits on what people can do with your stuff. So if you have photos on your website or they're downloading information from you like a freebie or if they're downloading, say, something from your online store that they can't go and just give that to somebody else. Um, so what they can and cannot do with your stuff. And while a terms and conditions page on your website is not legally required, and it's usually like undeniably the dullest page on your website, it definitely sets forth the rules for using your website for anyone that stumbles and starts scrolling on your website. It's a smart thing to include, and I definitely suggest that you have it. It limits your liability. If a customer were to take you to court, you could include things like an arbitration clause. It also protects your rights and all of the content that's contained on your website so that people don't come in and just like steal a blog post that you've posted. 
The basic elements of terms and conditions is limitations of liability. They usually have some type of copyright clause. It will link to your privacy policy. It'll set forth your venue and jurisdiction for governing law if you were to go and get into some type of lawsuit or arbitration or just debacle down the road. You want to make sure that nobody copies your site. And really, all in all, terms and conditions are great for people who also have an online store because you can have refund policies, cancellations, if they're on payment plans, if you have online courses, all of that would be listed in your terms and conditions of use of your website. So I highly suggest also ensuring that you have a page for terms and conditions of use on your website. And finally, is some type of disclaimer. So some attorneys suggest that the disclaimer on your website should be its own page. You can definitely do that. I would highly recommend that from for any type of professional, like a medical professional, a tax professional, a legal professional, fitness professional. I would definitely have your own disclaimer page. But if you are just an entrepreneur that's, you know, just like a basic entrepreneur in the industry, your disclaimer could be in your terms terms and conditions of use. And what a disclaimer does is it just disclaims any results that you are stating, say, on a landing page for an online course or a results of how you will actually feel after you download and pay for this thing in my online shop. Well, Everything that you say on your website is truthful, probably coming from some type of customer testimonial or how your audience may have reacted and say a Facebook group from your online course or something along those lines. A disclaimer pretty much says, I can state that all of these things are true on my website, but I don't guarantee your results. You are the charter of your own path. You are the business owner. You still have to ensure that you're taking the necessary steps that I tell you to in, say, my online course. And so you're disclaiming any specific results from people. This is really important because I have gotten into a situation with a client where they didn't have a disclaimer and they said something along the lines of, this has three times this person's income from taking this online course. And while it was true for that specific person who had a testimonial, what a buyer of that course thought was that, oh, it's going to three times my income. So you just need to ensure that you have a disclaimer that says results are not automatic. You are the maker of your own path. You are the guarantor of your results. I am not the guarantor of your results. So those are the three things for website policies and agreements for this category. A privacy policy, a terms and conditions of use, and a disclaimer. Finally, I just want to briefly touch on miscellaneous agreements. So there will undoubtedly, you guys, be other agreements that you need as your business grows. These include non-disclosure agreements, copyright disclosure agreements, testimonial releases and agreements, an affiliate agreement. Say if you bring, you start bringing people on as affiliates to help sell stuff for your online shop, a cancellation agreement, a rescheduling agreement. There are so 
so many different types of agreements that you may need as your business grows. So I just want you to know that the main four categories that I discussed in this episode are the ones that every entrepreneur would use. And then as your business, you know, starts getting more people on board, you start getting more clients, things start happening with your clients, you hire somebody on and you need some non-disclosure agreements and copyright disclosure agreements, you're definitely going to want to add in other things for people to sign. That concludes this episode. Wow, that was quite a bit of information, but I hope you found it very, very valuable to add into your toolbox, and I call this, again, the Entrepreneur's Agreement Toolbox. So make sure that you load up your notes today with the five main types of agreements. We've got business agreements, client agreements, worker agreements, website policies, and terms and conditions of use, and all of your miscellaneous agreements as well. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I can't wait to chat with you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Legal Page Podcast. See, I told you being legally legit isn't so scary. Be sure to visit thelegalpage.com for all show notes. And it would be super awesome if you could head over to iTunes and leave a review. Last but not least, don't forget to join my free Facebook group for unlimited legal and biz Q&A. Chat soon, Legal Pagers. (laughs) 